you're making awesome money on this thing that most people don't even think exists. I think that marketers ruin everything. Whenever something that works comes along, we're going to run it to death until it doesn't work anymore. Everyone knows that that's not enough to get on a phone call. I think is probably the best marketing channel for early stage companies. So that's a great example of a type of business that could be started and scaled very quickly. You're just cash flowing your way into what could be the next million or multi-millions in revenue. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, everybody, just finished this conversation with uh, Dana Lindell from Legendary Podcast. Actually, we were hanging out this weekend, and I had so many business ideas after our conversation. I said, please come to the pod to share these thoughts with us. We're going to cover a bunch of things like how you can generate a new cash flow or demand for your product using cold email right away this weekend, how you can start a new B2B service, or how you can identify business ideas by seeking out hyper niches. And these are quite substantial opportunities. We'll also talk about the difficulties of running these businesses, plus the opportunities in the end games, including a strategy I've seen being used more recently called the split and sale. Let me know your thoughts about this one. I hope you enjoy it. We're going to roll it now. All right, everybody. Dana Lindell from Legendary Podcast. Thanks for joining me here in person at my dinner table. Yeah, glad to be here. Glad to be back on the podcast for another time. Pretty cool. We were meeting up this weekend and we were talking about some really cool stuff you're up to. And I said, hey, would you be willing to share with the audience about how they can make money the same way you're making money? And you said yes. Yeah, just about every time I've come on the podcast, I think it started off with a random conversation that turned into an invitation to expand on that conversation. (laughs) Can you let the audience know what your company does, what it is? Let us know how much money you guys make, how big you are. Give us a sense for the company. So I run a company called Legendary Podcasts. We help people to go on podcast tours. So they tell us what they want to be speaking about, what sort of audiences they want to reach and with what message. And we help to place them on podcasts that will host them. We work with them to shop them around to different hosts, find places that are relevant and work within the parameters that they've given us, as well as advise them on how they should be expanding those for a better result. So would you consider yourself like a productized service, an agency? How do you describe the business to others? I would consider it in some ways to be a productized service, but everything that we are doing for people is quite custom at the same time. So a lot of the processes are the same, but it's very nuanced depending on what the hosts want or, or what the guests want which I think is common for productized services. Bring me into a sales call. Like, let's say I'm going to publish my book in Q2. I call you guys up and I'm like, yo, I want to do a podcast tour for my book. What does that look like? So generally we start off by asking people why they want to do a podcast tour. They want to ask us how much it costs and we want to ask them how much or why they want to do it. And (laughs) you're trying to get them to figure out how much, how valuable it is to them. Well, honestly, we're trying to disqualify people who only want to use it strictly for lead gen. And I want to be clear, podcasts can be great for lead gen, but we don't find that our best customers are the types of people who come to us and say, I want to generate 
10 new customers in the next three months because we don't find them to be speakers who are the types that hosts want to actually have on their show. They talk about themselves too much. They find every opportunity to turn the conversation back to why their company is great. And our big thing, and we really impress this upon people throughout our, our onboarding sessions, is your main goal on this podcast is to provide value to the audience of that show, first and foremost. But it's by doing exactly that, that people want to learn more about you and go look you up. It's yeah, the person who goes on learn more. Yeah, it's the person who goes on a show and talks about why they're so great. Here's a link to my company's website. You can set up a call with me if you want to learn about working with us that nobody actually wants to go find out more about that person. Got you. And if you just go on and you're interesting, you play to the interests of the audience, then they're going to want to know more. They're going to go do their own research. They're going to, to look you up. Got you. So part of the reason the value that I want to talk about today is you're running this kind of niche, niche, micro niche service, which... I'll frame up as you're not like a PR firm, which we talked about recently on the pod, like this concept of just make me famous. And you're not like a link blaster just getting me on any show. You're kind of like podcast booking for mid-range pods. I want to know how much money you're making. So we're on track to do about 800,000 this year. And that's been steadily climbing. How many team members do you have? Right now we have... 22 or 23 team and members. And how much are you going to charge me to go on my book tour if I sign up with like legendary podcasts? So our pricing is, is $600 a placement. We okay. don't have any sort of retainers or, or anything like that. So right. we shop you around to the podcast hosts and they accept you. And then we bring that opportunity to you and you can either accept or decline. If you're going to decline, that's totally fine but we're going to make sure that you tell us why you don't like it so we don't bring you more opportunities like that. We don't find it to be a great service to have on retainer simply because from both sides of the equation, yours and ours, we can't always say you're going to do exactly two shows this month or next month. We want to leave it dynamic for people. A lot of our customers are busy CEOs. They travel a lot. They have dynamic schedules. So we find it to be much more flexible to have people being paying on performance. That way they can expand. They might be launching a book and they want to do as many podcasts as they can in a short period of time. And then they might want to travel. And we just find it so much easier in terms of billing. And there's also this thing with customers when they need to make a real decision about starting or stopping something. Yeah. It's like that inertia thing, right? Where ours is just easy to keep going. It just keeps coming across the desk. Like every few weeks, every few months, it's like, hey, it's 600 bucks. You jump on the show. It's easier than running a Google AdWords account. kind of. Yeah. Thing. We used to do it in packages of five or 10 where you could re-up with another five or another 10. And 10 would be a little bit cheaper. We don't do that anymore simply because we find that it's a larger decision for people. They might have just kept going yeah. when it's easy to keep going. But it's like, do I want to pay for five more up front? Do I want to pay for 10 more up front? So we've found that we've been able to keep a higher LTV of our, our customers by keeping it more on a performance-based model and not having people pay for those larger packages up front. What I love about your story, or Legendary in particular, is it's the sort of business idea that I find myself brainstorming a lot about often. Like, the reason I'm talking to you is because I was like, man, we need like PR agencies now. And you are someone in my network that's like PR agency adjacent. And so I thought we could come on and like talk about that idea and what you guys do and basically how others can come up with ideas like this. And I'm wondering if you could bring us to that moment you're making awesome money on this thing that most people don't even think exists. This kind of like mid-audience podcast placement. There's a whole marketplace here. 
How can we find stuff like that? So first tell us how you stumbled upon the idea. So my previous company was called Legendary Lead Gen. We carried the branding over to the new company. We used to run cold email and eventually we, we switched over to LinkedIn and then switched back to email again for our lead gen. And we, we did outbound lead gen for B2B companies and we did that for quite a long time. So outbound lead gen is like, I run a recruiting company. I write to Dana and I say, hey man, if you can get me a phone call with someone who might need recruiting, I'll pay you 600 bucks or whatever. Yeah, that one we did do more on a retainer. It was a little bit more predictable in that okay. way. But yeah, we charge people for a monthly service where we would run cold emails or run LinkedIn campaigns for them and their deliverable would be an interested person who, who wants to speak with them okay. about their service offering. So I launched that in 2014 when I was living in Thailand, just before one of the big DC Bangkok events. And I ran that business for a good six or seven years. And I ended up really burning out on it. Cold email and lead gen took a bunch of different turns throughout the year. GDPR really messed things up for a while when it came out and you know email inbox placements and things like that. A lot of people shifted to LinkedIn. People created automation tools for LinkedIn, which just turned it into a cesspool. And I always say, the saying, a rising tide raises all ships. Well, the opposite is also true. So when everyone is just blasting their, their target market, they're blasting everyone on LinkedIn, when you have good messaging, when you're good at what you do, it's still very, very, very difficult to stand out because of all the noise that people are experiencing. So I was already kind of getting burnt out on the lead gen business and I didn't have the energy to continue growing it or even to continue maintaining it. And I was a little bit frustrated, but we had a partner who was doing podcast bookings. And we have been adding that as an upsell to our customers. At the end of 2019, they really stopped performing. Like it was like literally just stopped performing or doing anything for us and our customers were upset. So I started to look at new partners and well, someone on my team ended up saying, Dana, this is exactly what we do. It's outreach, it's email, it's good copywriting, it's personalization. This is what we're great at. Why don't we just do this in house? Why go look for a new partner? And I realized that it's entirely true. This is our exact skill set, just differently applied and in some ways better applied because it's more palatable to the recipient than the, the cold email. The podcast host already knows that they do need a guest. They might not need that guest, but if I'm reaching out to you for a marketing service, there's no way to know if you truly need right. that. So we also made the pivot at a really opportune time. So we decided to make this pivot at the end of 2019. And yeah. it was only a few months later that the whole world upended. Everybody wanted to get on a podcast. And everybody started creating content remotely, even if they were creating content in person before. So podcasting was already on the rise prior to this happening. Yeah. And 2020 just accelerated that. Do you feel like there's an arbitrage window for different services that closes? Like, could you still be doing legendary lead gen in the way you did it in the past? Or was there like a sweet moment in the market and now you have to evolve and now you're doing podcast bookings and you're going to have to evolve out of that in a few years time? How do you see it? Yes and no. I think that marketers ruin everything, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> whenever something that works comes along, we're going to run it to death until it doesn't work anymore. So, I mean, that always exists. I think there's always going to be space in the market for people who really do it well and for people who have really good customer acquisition and, and are good at keeping their customers happy. But it is a very crowded space these days. Your inbox, I'm sure, and mine is definitely filled with people reaching out to me pitching me on lead gen and outreach services. Basically, yeah. And that's why we're talking right now. 
what is the moment we're in, I guess is the question. Yeah, and it's funny because I'm, I'm very aware of my bias when I receive these sorts of emails because I think of it from a very personal level where I'm like, really, dude, you're still running a business like this, man? Like, <laughs> I, I, I've moved on long ago. <laughs> and, but I mean, there's still companies that are doing it well and there's still companies that are charging a lot for it. And there's absolutely been a race to the bottom with it. I think the biggest problem with lead gen agencies or, or if you want to run a lead gen agency is that you need to be really, really, really deliberate about client selection because one of the most common things is that the type of company who needs a lead gen company or thinks that what they need most as a lead gen company is the worst client you could ever have. It was so common that we would have companies coming to us and you could tell that they were hurting. They thought that their biggest problem was they didn't have any leads and they just needed some leads and they would close them and then yeah. everything would be fine. The problem is most of these companies are bringing in clients on referral currently and you have to be able to train them in sales and how to sell to cold leads in this new style in order for them to not churn out in a few months after they've signed up for your service, generated a bunch of leads and closed no sales because they were using the wrong sales process and now they're in a worse position than when they started. And that doesn't make me feel good as a business owner either. But I do think that it's very difficult to do right now. It's a very commoditized service. It can be done well, but I actually think that somebody with good cold email skills would have a better opportunity using those skills to launch a different type of business that relies on cold email as the skill set, which is what we've done. So we're able to take something that we spent a long time perfecting and crafting that we don't really want to be selling anymore. And we're having a challenge selling to the right customer type, but we just pivoted it. And this is personal to me, but I got my energy back. I got my motivation back and I, I like doing what I was doing again. That's interesting. Is part of what's working with the new approach is that you don't continually have to find new contacts. In fact, like when you find a podcast that you're booking on that now that contact is an asset to the company. Yeah. So yes, but not quite in the way that, that you say it. For us, the difficult part is not finding contacts, but it's of course getting those contacts to accept whatever it is we're putting out there. So when we were doing cold email for clients, let's say we have two people, they're both running PPC agencies, and they're both targeting approximately the same type of customer. We never did this. We would build different lead lists for, for different clients. But let's just say, hypothetically, that we wanted to reuse the same lead list. Yeah. So we don't need to go and do extra research, but we can't draw upon any previous relevance from those prospects in the lead list. We can't ever say, hey, we reached out to you last week from this other company. You were interested in their service. What about this one? It just doesn't work like that. Whereas now we reach out to a podcast host, we, we place one of our customers and we're able to draw upon that relevance next time, even for a different customer, right. because we're still the middleman in this situation. We're just a transparent middleman in the situation generally. And this is the uh, thing that I haven't said, which the audience might not be picking up on yet, is most cold email agencies or outbound agencies are going to be doing this activity as you. They're going to set up an inbox that has your name on it. It's probably not going to have your exact domain. It's going to be an alternate domain. Right. But like tropicalmba.co. Or tropical-mba.com or something like this. Right. And it's going to be coming as you. So no one's ever going to know that this lead gen agency is involved in it. So there's no opportunity, one, for us to say, hey, well, we're actually the people running this. You know, we're a lead gen company. You like that other company that we reached out as, check out these guys. Whereas with the podcasting space, we can send over a guest and they do a great job on this whole show. The audience appreciated it. And that 
host, the, the prospect in this scenario, is actually overjoyed with us and wants to continue working with us. So we don't have to start over from scratch every time we bring on a new customer. Interesting. The reason that I started talking to you was because I have seen the pitches change this year. I have received three pitches. I feel like I'm seeing a new technique out there in the marketplace. <laughs> and it goes like this. It is somebody that I know reaching out to me like you saying, hey, there's this guy, Trevor, that I met. He's asking, he wants to be connected with you. And then they make the connection. And then Trevor puts me to blind copy and then tries to get me to opt into a phone call with him. And it's actually happened more than three times. I think maybe four times. This specific sequence. And then I try to keep it in email and then no reply. And then inevitably, I'm on their list then. And so then I get this more standard agency outreach for a podcast. This has happened four times to me. Do you know anything about this? We don't do anything like that. So I, I don't know anything about this. This is um, next level. I have a couple questions though. Yeah. So is this other person, this, this contact of yours who you do know, is it actually coming from them? Yes. So what I'd imagine is happening here is they might be networking with some people who know you, maybe looking at your LinkedIn and finding some mutual connections or something and asking for an introduction. Yes, that's what's happening. Yeah, I'm curious about your perspective on this. I, I think that the, what's happening is as the outreach process has gotten more competitive, I think it's getting a little bit more bespoke. So you remember, you came on the show five years ago and it's like, hey, if you mention something specific about something they said on an episode like six months ago, your response rate goes up 20%, right? That was like a thing in the lead mm -hmm. gen. And now everyone does. Like the opening sentence is always like, I listened to your episode with so-and-so. It was really great, blah, blah, blah. Cool. Well, now I'm sniffing this one out. I'm starting to see that like, there must be someone that runs a lead gen agency saying, look, none of that stuff's going to work. We're going to have to have a one hour long strategy session. Pull out your LinkedIn or pull out your uh, Rolodex. Let's start to review the people that you know in your network. And this is where I started to get this idea of the PR agency. This is more of a PR agency thing, which is like, hey, you want to be famous? You want to get on podcasts? Who do you know that's famous? Let's start to go over the list. And then what we want to do is we want to get that person to connect you with the people that they know that they're famous. And then bam, that's where we're going to get them. It's fascinating because I've seen it happen now a few times. I'm like, oh, this smells fishy because I know where it's leading. I know where all this heads. It heads to, can I come on your show? But instead, what they're going to do is they're going to basically do the pre-call with me with like no agenda. Like we just want to connect because we know the same person, which I guess like that's what tipped me off. It's like everyone knows that that's not enough to get on a phone call. So it must be an agency because only, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Like you can't be like, yo, I was at brunch with Dana this weekend and he said he knows you and like we're both really interesting. Let's jump on a call. That's an agency email. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not bad. I had to think about it because now there's this social capital where if that person gets back to the person that I know, they're probably listening to this right now, they're going to know that I didn't get on that phone call. And so now I, I incurred a cost, which is in the early days, we felt the same way when people would make those pitches. And 
when you first started coming through your inbox, you kind of feel bad. And then they, then the next tactic was they would send the follow-up email that's really short. Hey, you must have not. I got this. Just a reminder. And then you get the third email that says, I guess you don't respect my time. Or something like that. It's the like, passive aggressive knife twist. Man, yeah. <laughs> we do send the just check in to see if you got this yeah. email. <laughs> we do not send the passive aggressive. No, that's not our style. But uh, so I'll, I'll give my gut reaction to all this. I mean, I, I would probably need a little more time to digest it and see how I really think about it. But my first impression is that I feel like for an agency to be doing this for their customers, this is a really one, a, a time of inefficient way to be doing this. And two, I feel like it's maybe misaligned or maybe it skews more towards a, a lower cost customer type, mm -hmm. because I feel like the person who has a great network and is the type of person who has spent a long time cultivating that and is very successful already would not go and hire an agency to help them tap into their own network as a strategy. Yeah. And somebody who has an okay network and needs this help with, you know, getting placed in some promotion would be happy to supply their own network. I mean, basically the way that I look at it is the types of customers that, that we work with tend to be from a little bit larger of a company. They're going to want us to handle everything. They're not going to want to have it go through their personal profile. They're, you know, they might give us a few shows and introduce us to a couple people that they want to get in touch with. But by and large, the campaign strategy is not going to be let's go find other people to introduce us to these people. And I think that's the difference in our strategy is, is we're finding ways to introduce ourselves to podcast hosts and really leaning into... Right, you've what, got the asset, which is this group of podcasts. Yeah. I'm basically paying you 600 bucks to get access to your Rolodex, right? That's kind of the idea. Exactly. Where it sounds like companies who might be doing something like that are just really still hustling it. And I, I obviously don't knock the hustle. Don't I mean, knock we all, the, uh, no we all have to start no, and somewhere I talk doing about, this. I want to talk about that. I think cold email and these sorts of strategies are really great ways of being able to just put forth that effort up front yeah. and really create a pretty outsized outcome. And I think cold email is great for that. I think cold email is probably the best marketing channel for early stage companies. Ooh, and hot that take. diminishes the more mature you get. Okay, so we're, let's get into that. But just a final piece about this whole sequence. I also think it's possible that all of these were genuine. And then what happened was that person who's like doing the genuine hustle, let's call it, put my email address on their other lead outreach lists. So I've noticed that happening a lot too lately, which I always love these kind of like inbox politics. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's been happening a lot more in the past, say, 12 months than previous is that if you just know a person, you end up on their marketing list somehow. What's yeah. that? Well, I would imagine... <laughs> like on these occasions, I ended up on their lists because I had an email relationship with them. So now I'm on their, that's a next level thing. Technically, that's probably against the terms of service or whatever yes. email marketing of service they're, they're using. I would hazard a guess that if you actually took one of these people on the show, you wouldn't have ended up on the email list. You're on the email list because you have not yet converted to right. what they consider no. to be a sale. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, fascinating. Hey, if you like the show, just want to remind you, we have a website, tropicalmba.com. You can click through on your phone, check us out on the web, hit that subscribe button. I write the newsletter every week. There's a lot going on behind the scenes of the pod. That's the best way to find out about upcoming events, both virtual, in-person, and much more. Check us out at tropicalmba.com and give us some feedback on this brand spanking new website. Because it's time for a spanking.
All right. So you believe cold email is the best channel for somebody looking to start a new service business. Yeah, I'm glad you qualified that service business, not for an e-commerce business, not for anything B2C, but for something B2B with a reasonable ticket size. Let's talk about how to do it, how to do it well, and why is it so great? So the reason why it's so great is because very, very quickly, you can spin up a list of contacts, reach out to them, and get basically real-time feedback on your product and whether it's worth it to them or not. So it's still easy to get people on the phone. It's getting harder and it, you know you have to be a little bit better and more clever about your cold email style, but it's still a very easy thing to do. We could each spin up a campaign today and be on sales calls with people next week. Now, there's a different sales process that you need to go through with, with cold email. You need to really you know go through a more uh, discovery-focused process and uncover some pain points and things like that. Don't treat it like a referral call where it's like, okay, well, what do you need? Because they don't know what they need yet. You reached out to them. Right. But even if they don't buy, you're learning a lot about why they're not buying. For an early stage company, that's not as valuable as a new customer, but sometimes it can be because you know how to focus things. And with cold email, you have the ability to target things exactly how you want them. It's not like you're having random people show up on your website and opt into something and some of them are going to be good, some of them are going to be bad. If the people that you're reaching out to and getting on calls with are not a good fit, it's your fault, but you have a very easy path to fix it, which is just adjust your targeting. One of the interesting things that you mentioned to me, it reminded me of my SEO days, which is basically be product agnostic, but be market focused. So in other words, build the business around the channel of cold email, which is identify people who are relatively easy to figure out what they need vis-a-vis their online information. How does that work? So we sort of did this by accident because our our pivot to podcasting was really just out of, we want to develop a new service offering in-house rather than the partner. And then we enjoyed selling that more. We just pivoted there. But I've spent a lot of time thinking about it and realizing why our cold emails are, are so successful. Whenever we have a salesperson come on or current salespeople, their calendars are always booked weeks in advance. It's honestly, we have to throttle our campaigns down because we don't want to have people getting booked on calls more than two weeks out because then people forget why they're there for the call by the time they actually do it. So the thing that I feel has worked really well for us is we're able to really easily profile our customers. They're on podcasts already. So we can find people who are on podcasts already that suggest that they want to do more podcasting. We also have a lot of things that they've talked about on that show that we can mention and we can reach out to them. We can stroke their ego a little bit and we can mention some other things that we've noticed about them. And really it's just a matter of, can you find these people publicly? Can you find some more detailed information about them that you can mention that makes them really know and believe that you wanted to reach out to them? So I get a lot of bad personalization in cold emails to me. And I think personalization is a very tricky and nuanced subject because when done well, it works amazingly well. And when done badly, it's worse than not personalizing at all. So some examples of bad personalization that I've received recently are oftentimes like location and API based. So they'll know I'm in Austin. So I've had a few recently that are like, oh, I I see that you're in Austin. Have you been to Austin City Center lately? And I'm not sure that there's actually a place here called Austin City Center. I'm pretty sure they meant downtown. And I responded back with, yes, I've been downtown in the city that I live in. Thank you for the suggestion. Uh, Of course, I didn't get on a call with them. I also had someone reach out to me and, and say, I hear Austin has a very great culinary scene. Have you eaten at Chili's? 
Gotcha. And it's like, I do live in a city that has a lot of great food. I don't eat at Chili's. I can't believe you would <laughs> even suggest that, but they're using some sort of API yeah. to use my location for that. What we do, and this is a little bit hard. It's going to require some thinking if you want to implement it in your own business, is we say things that are personalized, but... That are also generalizable. They're like generalizable. Like Well, <laughs> yes, but, but not really. So as an example... Whenever we find a person that we want to reach out to, we might check out how many other podcasts they've been on. Yeah. The common type of cold email thing to do would be to use a mail merge style thing that says, oh, I found seven more podcasts that you've been on. But that's not how I would come up to you and talk to you in a bar if, you know, I wanted to talk to you about noticing you on a bunch of podcasts. I wouldn't use a number. Oh, man, I saw you on a bunch of podcasts last right. week. You know, I use something a little bit more general. So... We like to do our personalizations in ways where we have different buckets that we place people into that still fit for a situation. So if they've done a bunch, it's like, you know, I've got a bunch added to my next up next list now to check out. But like, I'm curious, do you have a strategy for turning these into to, right, you right. Know, demand for your company? If they've only done a small handful, we mentioned that, but it's like, I looked up a few more, I only found a, a couple, like, I can't believe you haven't done more. What's your rate going to be? So we're talking about now cold outreach for your specific business, legendary podcast. What's a good rate of success for you with a campaign like that? For cold email? Yeah. So we generally send under 100 emails a day. We often have to throttle that back, but we generally do book anywhere in the range of six to 10 sales calls a day. So, Woo! I mean, we generally How do- How many sales calls do you close? So that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> So we're very good at generating leads and we're still struggling sometimes on the sales process. We do close a lot of sales. So you uh, have our, those percentages as they trickle down the funnel and, and the problem percentage for you right now is closing the deal. Yeah. And I wouldn't say it's... Maybe somebody on the show listening will help you. Sure. I wouldn't say it's a problem. It's just not as impressive as yeah. our lead generates. So I would put it at about the same. Generally from email to booked call. It's about a 10%, which is wow. almost unheard of for cold email. I mean, we've really been doing this now, for a if long you time. Now, if I was to say, hey, Dana, send 200 emails a day, would it stay at 10%? Yeah. And then, so you don't know what the natural limit is in terms of outreach at this moment. Because you're basically sending out about 20,000 emails a year. Yeah. Yeah. And why not 40,000? It's really just been a matter of making sure that we don't onboard too many customers. So... You've just flagged up something that's very rare in the service business space. Your primary constraint right now is not demand. No. Our conversion rate from booked call to a sale is about the same. Actually, it's about 10%. So you do 10 calls, you get one new client. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And the biggest problem is, uh, honestly, I think that a lot of people are not looking at the podcasting space correctly and what it can be used for. And we do try to educate throughout our sales calls, just like any sales call. Sometimes you feel like the person is just agreeing with you to, you know, <laughs> agree with you. And sometimes they're really getting it. And sometimes you know that like, no, it's just not for them. Yeah. Right. But that's why I said, despite the fact that podcasting can be a really great way to attract new customers and actually make new sales, we just don't want to work with the type of person who's like, yeah. So if they come on the call and immediately like, what's the ROI on this? What do I see back in return? How many customers am I going to get? We start to deflect the answers and start to tell them like why they should be using podcasting in a different way. And to be honest, some of our low conversions might just be because we don't want to work with that type of customer. Yeah, We really want to be working with a type of customer 
who sees and understands the benefit, who knows that by going out and getting themselves out there and placing themselves in front of a lot of new audiences to talk about the thing that they're an expert at is going to pay long-term. So we view this as a, as a content marketing strategy, basically. Remember back when content marketing was a new thing yeah. and everyone was talking about it. And the big thing was like, it's a long-term strategy. It's long tail. You, yeah. you don't just start putting out blog posts and expecting it to work for you immediately. It's something that starts to compound and, and build over time. And these days, buyers are very well educated and they know how to buy. They're doing a lot of their research independent of a sales rep. They're going out there. They're Googling information about sure. companies. They're looking at reviews. They're listening to podcasts and spending time with companies that they're looking at purchasing from without ever having spoken to someone from that company. So a lot of the common things that are not trackable are things like marketing director, here's the podcast that somebody was on and shares it within their Slack channel. Sure, sure. CEO hears it and says, go set up a call with that company. That's never gonna attribute back so to the So your podcast. clients need to understand that is the point. Yeah. And we've also seen that when about a year into the business, we were doing check-in calls with people. And that was the point that we started having a number of people tell us that they can't quite put their finger on it, but they feel like their sales cycle has been really shortening yeah. lately. So we started digging in with that and we started asking a lot more people about it if they've seen that. And they said that they had, and all this stuff is really difficult to prove because there's no attribution really in podcasting. I think that's yeah. the biggest problem with it. But our theory that we're pretty confident in is that their prospects are, are spending this time with them you know, there's that saying that you need to have like seven touch points across so many, you know, yeah. periods of time. And it's very easy to accomplish that through a podcasting webinars and, and other means that are happening asynchronously. So people are coming on and they're already sort of pre-sold because they understand what the company does and its ethos and, you know, how they work already. And the second thing that we started to notice after that is that our customers were reporting back to us that they were working with their customers better after they came on Sure. With a shorter sales cycle because people were coming on because they saw a good alignment, a good fit. They were spending time getting to know these companies that they're about to work with before they actually sign right. them on. Like I'm in a position to value your service better than anybody because I understand all the dynamics you're talking about because I've felt them for years. Essentially is what you're saying, right? Yeah. And I mean, there's whole businesses to talk about large businesses that are being built in these kind of you know micro niches. There's very large businesses that are being acquired and taking on funding these days that are simply databases of podcasts with their metrics and, and numbers. Podchaser and, and Raphonic are two examples of this. And it's difficult because they don't actually always have exact data. You know, sure. No one has this exact data except the person who has access to the backend hosting of right. the show. And that's another difficult part about our sales process is convincing the, the impact of the show. Yeah. Like what are, and that would be a great piece of marketing is like, I know a lot of people trying, but like, if you send some AI or some auditor, this is a business idea, to look at tropical NBA signals, I'm not going to tell you how many downloads this gets. I'll tell you, mm -hmm. right? And I'll tell the audience occasionally, but I'm not going to just go around publishing this number. And anyway, how are you going to trust me? I could say whatever I wanted to say. So how can AI or Dana or whomever audit a show or find other signals? That's super fascinating. I want to pitch an idea to you, and then I want to loop back to this thing. Why I'm so hot about this is services and micro niches, B2B, they're always evolving. They're always changing. They're often an arbitrage, as your story demonstrates, but that doesn't mean they can't be extremely profitable. I'm going to share at the end one strategy I've seen people like yourselves and, and ourselves do to do that. But I love this idea 
Back in the day, I used to look at keyword volume and buying temperature. Well, now you can look at social distribution. So you could say something like this. You could find somebody who's famous on Twitter and they're famous for their threads and they obviously have a systematized post account. Well, you could pitch them either on Twitter or via email. It's pretty easy to dig up their email using Apollo or any other number of tools. And you can say, hey, Dana, I know you're investing in Twitter. It's an amazing account. Our team has dug into what you're doing. We're experts on Instagram. And we believe your technique would work really well with the slider method or with the story method. You have three methods on Instagram or whatever. You say, hey, like if you'd ever be interested in talking about how we could repurpose and rebrand and, and distribute content to Instagram, give us a call. I think that's a pitch that could work, right? Now, I don't know if that's a good business idea. And I don't know if the economics work out, but I bet me and you, and this is part of the reason I want to have this episode, could sit here and crack out 15 ideas like that and decide how to start a business this weekend. So I could guarantee you that I could, if I wanted to set up that business and I wanted to fill it with sales calls through cold email, that I could do it just about as well as I'm doing it right now because it fits all the criteria of what I mentioned earlier is that I can find all these people. They're easily profilable through the fact that they're epically posting on Twitter. It stands to reason that they want following on other channels as well. I would check their other channels and make sure that they're underperforming on those channels to make them a, a good lead. I'd be able to look at their Twitter profile and find a lot of publicly available information about their opinion and their life and what they think to be able to draw upon for relevancy and, and mention within the email. So that's a great example of a type of business that could be started and scaled very quickly through good cold email. Now, I just want to underline, you don't have a demand problem. That's fascinating because I just feel like demand is the most common problem in a small business and you don't have one. Fascinating. But you also said that cold email is a good strategy just at the beginning, but not in mature businesses. Why? So for all the reasons that cold email is a great thing for early stage companies, I don't think it's a bad option. I just think that most companies need to develop other marketing channels. And this has actually been to a big detriment of us. We've always been so, so, so good at cold email. That's where we focused all of our efforts. And so I've never spent time building a proper list within the company. And about three times a year, I'm like, I got to build a list. Finally, (laughs) I have lists of millions of people probably from over the years, but they're not opted in lists that, you know, people know who we are. So I just believe that if a company is, you know, 10 years in, they might've got where they, they are right now with cold email, but eventually they're going to need to find some other sorts of marketing channels. Eventually they're gonna tap out their target market with cold email. Eventually it's gonna get more difficult and it is much more difficult now than it was five years ago, right? So those sort of things always evolve. I think it fits in as a complementary marketing channel for a more mature company. I don't think most mature companies should be relying fully on it because there's so many things that can change, go wrong, or your account goes down or you start going to spam. I mean, there's ways to mitigate that by having backup accounts or, or things it, like It's that. also like the sign of a health of a company, right? Like it's a flywheel starter, but if your flywheel ain't spinning, you got to keep sending emails. It's good while it lasts kind of thing. Exactly. It's a constant thing where, you know, other things like Facebook ads, they do need to be set up and they do need to be managed, but you don't need to constantly find new contacts to reach out to. Or brand or referrals or... And as much as I can say about how cold email is great for the ability to select your customers, it's very difficult to qualify people before a call with cold email. Because if you're reaching out to me as the customer and you want to buy my service, 
I'm in a very good position to say, okay, well, before we jump on a call, can you tell me a little bit more about your company, what you're looking to do, and do you have the budget for it? And you'd reasonably answer those questions because you reached out to me. But if I reach out to you and say, hey, you want to get on a call and learn about being on podcasts? And you're like, yeah, hey, sure. And I'm like, okay, get on the call. well, first tell me, is this your budget? And you'd be like, hey, man, you reached out to me. Like, I wasn't planning to do anything. <laughs> it seems interesting, but like, if you want to ask me all these questions to make sure I'm a good fit for this thing that you reached out, it just doesn't work as well. Yeah. So I think that is is part of where our lower sales conversion lies. And I don't think our sales conversion is necessarily bad for one that's primarily a cold email sales process because you do have yeah. to weed people out of something like that. But as we've tried to qualify people better before the call, because our biggest thing is we have so many calls in the company. We've had you know multiple people running sales calls back to back to back to back all day before. And we want to be able to qualify those leads better, but that is the challenge. So that's one thing that we've not focused on as much. Maybe there's a better way to do that that I'm not seeing, but I do see that as one of the downsides of cold email. Easy to generate interest, more difficult to narrow down that interest into the right leads. What's the hard part about running your business or the part that you're worried to say publicly about it? We do have a demand issue actually, but it's not on the customer side. It's on the, the host side. So there's a bit of a kind of a marketplace dynamic where you have supply and demand within your own. Yeah. So, I mean, we are a two-sided marketplace. Basically, we only charge one side of the marketplace. So somewhat similar to, to Dynamite Jobs in that respect. You yeah. Know? But what's different than Dynamite Jobs is the hosts don't always want what we have. So that's the issue. You mentioned it earlier in the podcast that you receive so many of these pitches all the time and most of them aren't good. And that's the thing that I hear constantly from hosts. So we've recently started to reach out to hosts and engage them to get them on the phone and try to learn more about what is it they really want about their show. And it's been surprising because even shows that are fairly small, they have grand visions for what they want to do. They have very particular ways about what they want to be bringing on guests to talk about and how they want to structure these conversations. So we've been doing that and it's been really good because hosts really, really appreciate it. They really feel great about the fact that there's a company out there that wants to know how they want to run the show and wants to actually support them in doing so. Because we've realized recently, hosts are our customers too. We just yeah. don't charge so anything to them. so now you can build products for them to grow their shows yeah. and stuff like that. So they're overwhelmed these days. A really common thing that people say to me is, Dana, I have a part-time job reviewing guest suggestions and that's on top of my part-time job hosting the podcast. Right. And I haven't even started running the business. Yeah. Yet. And so what we do is actually from a lot of hosts, they don't want it or need it. They see it as a nuisance at this point. And so the challenge for us is actually showing how we do things differently. We're not just this company that only relies on cold email to blast you with suggestions, but we're going to use our cold email skills for good so that we can connect with you, build this relationship and understand exactly how we can support you and find you guests. Because most hosts tell me that I actually don't have a problem finding guests, but I'm always happy to get introed to someone I can have a great conversation with. Yeah. So what you're describing, again, $800,000 of revenue, 22 people running this operation. Where are those people located primarily? So we're distributed. A lot of our team is in, in Latin America. And then our research team is primarily in the Philippines. They're the ones who are looking up information the about shows. And yeah. And then we have some people in Europe as well. So we're distributed all over the place. We're pretty agnostic as to where we hire. So many themes. I mean, a lot of people I think are curious, like why are these brands like Shepard taking off that are sourcing Filipino VAs? We've long used places like onlinejobs.ph and stuff like that. I think it's because there's like an index of minimum viable English speaker, whether it's in Latin America or Philippines or whatever, Eastern Europe occasionally, 
that is the baseline for a lot of these business ideas. That actually represents the economics. And so when an entrepreneur like me or you figures out what that service model is going to be, so say, for example, coming back to my Instagram distribution model, my COGS is based on Filipinos, right? Or AI, any of these sort of like VA placement companies and just rip multiple deals because I need to scale up. That's for real. That's a thing. Anyway, I just wanted to flag that up because there's a lot of different themes in your story. One is you're also cash flowing this incredible education. So you found a micro niche, which led to another micro niche. You're in the room, you're dealing with your customers, you're dealing with them every day. Now, all of a sudden you get this new kind of customer that isn't really paying you money, but that doesn't mean there's not a lot of value in the room, which is, well, you could do podcast coaching, podcast training. You could partner with some of these people that have potential and build operations on the back end. You're just cash flowing your way into what could be the next million or multi-millions in revenue. And there's one other thing that I see a lot of folks in this position do that's thematic. I want to call it the split and sell technique. So a legible example would call it with dynamite jobs in remote first recruiting. I noticed that there was two types of customers coming to one brand. And so I split them. And a lot of people would say, well, that's confusing. When I look at your website, now you have two brands. And it's good advice, but it's often people say, well, you should have less logos, right? But here's the catch. I can sell one of them. The interesting part about that is a lot of people ask with agencies, with businesses, all of us depend on a moment in time, uh, a level of passion and focus, or it could be a momentary arbitrage. People ask about the end games. Well, one end game is you can get liquidity and maintain an asset, a cash flow asset at the same time. And it's not small time. I've seen people do this at the eight-figure level where they kind of plan ahead. They kind of split off the lifestyle version, the part that they really like. Or I say, oh, I don't know. I, I love scalability of dynamite jobs. Or I, I love dealing with the bespoke nature of my clients at remote first. And so my end game is to sell one of those, to make my nut off of that, and then to keep paying the mortgage and to have a good lifestyle off the cash flow of the asset I've maintained. So I just want to underline that the split and sell. I mean, we could sit here and there's a lot of ways you could split and sell legendary. You could spool back up your the lead gen product and, and you could pre-sell the first 15 customers. You could get a business partner for that. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of ways that you can realize value in these systems when you're just positioned with a customer and you're having cash flowed conversations every day. There's a lot there. I've never considered all of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like it. I like it. I mean, there's so many people sit around and think about a business idea, man. Like your career is a business idea farm. There's a business idea popping up every day. And some people say shiny object syndrome, but also it's a great problem to have. And it's, it can be hard to stay focused when there's a million things you could be doing. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, focus on the problem that's profitable to solve that doesn't mean everything is a distraction. It doesn't mean it's a distraction to split off remote first recruiting. I think it's been a net good move for us. And this idea that you need to, quote, stay focused and keep everything under one brand, I don't know. I don't know if that's the right move in 2023. Anyway. I would say all my big daily ideas are a net positive to me, though my general manager would probably disagree. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the TMBA is on your blacklist. What's the blacklist? We have a list of shows that for whatever reason, we don't work with them either because <laughs> either because they 
are not a good fit for our clients. Yeah. They've maybe been unprofessional with our clients in the past. Oh, sh They've told us that they don't take guests. Or in this case with Tropical MBA, because we have a relationship, if I thought there was a good person for your show, I would just reach out directly outside of my agents and, yeah, and yeah. let you know. And it's because I know how you run the show is you're, you're generally chasing things that pique your personal interest and you have those people on the show to have discussions that you find interesting. So I know just a little bit more about how the sausage is made and how you guys do your selection process. So we just put you on the blacklist, not because you're a bad show, but because if one of my agents reached out, it would be like, oh, well, we know Dana. Why didn't he just get in touch? You know, well, That's badass, man. I like <laughs> being on the blacklist. <laughs> Dana Little, thanks for joining us on the Tropical NBA podcast. So good to be back. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.